Blog Talk Radio. I reside on the west side. 
side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence.
who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. That's right, you heard it. You've become one of them. We are co-opted to this society. We work for the interests of the ruling elite. And on that note, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Moon on the 23rd day of July, 2023. We closed out our third segment of the three-part series. America was never built for Africans. That's right, we said it. America was never built for Africans. Part three. We welcome you, the listening audience, to join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. We come to speak to the powerful and the powerless. As we sat in the seat, now tell us the analysts will take the heat. They will define it, and they will stand behind it. And we want you to do the same. We want to tell our story and use our history as a guidance map, as a pointer to direct those in the future in terms of how African people can get their liberation. So you are at the right place, at the right time, the right station. Africa on the moon, listening to Brother Africa and his panelists and analysts. And like always, you know how we get started with our party. We're going to introduce you to our political panelists and analysts. And at this point in time, we bring in Brother Haki, a representative of the African Women's Association. And we would like to welcome him to Africa on the moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamath Mushoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about the institution building. But even prior to in discussions around institution buildings, one of the things we have to uh, sort of uh, note is this, this miscellaneous information that permeates the society, namely the question in terms of poverty in your society. Uh, one of the things that are very interesting, um, I was recently reading an article in which, you know, a right-wing conservative position was that poverty is simply avoidable if people take some responsibility upon themselves. They give three, uh, three, three different uh, 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 methodologies, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, that if you follow that you can avoid poverty in American society. They are, one, graduate from high school, 
B, or two, get full time a full time job, or three, delay having children, mar- marriage first. It's very, very interesting uh, analysis when you start to think about it. When you think about the structural dimensions of capitalism, particularly when you talk about poverty, if you're going to talk about graduating from high school, uh, it seems to me, regardless of your high school graduation rates, the question of poverty still persists. So really, can we say high school, you know, graduate from high school is consistent in terms of making sure you find a job in American society? Also, structurally, when you think about in terms of capitalism, you talk about in terms of lack of jobs, there's a reason why it's a lack of jobs. Lack of jobs equate with profitability for the, for the ruling class. In other words, the more people that are unemployed, the higher the profit. And so, therefore, the incentives are built in to not to, to, not to employ people simply because it's more profitable not to hire them. And also, with respect to marriages, you know, you know uh, before having children, well, that sounds good in theory, but the bottom line is that when you talk about marriage, given the, the, the very uh, 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 stress uh, that comes with being married, uh, poverty is certainly one of those, one of those uh, stressors which people will want to negate. So if you don't have some economic means in terms of you know, supporting that relationship, people are not likely to get married. And so this question in terms of you know, marriage being a problem to poverty, it's just a misnomer. It's just a, it's just a, uh, it's a red herring. It makes no sense at all in the context in terms of how people really behave in the real world. Now, recently I read an uh, article uh, about the, with the poverty and social justice studies of Columbia University with respect to poverty. And they stated that 14.3% of U.S. citizens or 15 million people are living in poverty. We're talking about abject poverty. So we're talking about one in eight children in poverty, one in nine adults in poverty in the United States. It goes on to say 108 million are near impoverishment. When you look in terms of wages, people making $55,000 or less or are closer to poverty, or we're talking about 108 million people as such. And as a result of this poverty, Brother Africa, which is ironic, is that we have one million school children in the public schools who are homeless in the land of the, in the land of the free, two million in the U.S. Uh, households without running water or flushing toilets, and this according to sociologist Matthew Desmond. And the whole point in terms of when we talk about poverty, we can't dismiss the philosophical under, undercurrent uh, uh, undercurrent in terms of you know poverty. Uh, we don't often understand or appreciate the fact that. Uh, for people in positions of power, you know, facilitating poverty is, is, is sort of a it's sort of a sport of sort in which watching people struggle, watching people suffer, uh, for a lot of people in positions of power is something that they find quite amusing. In that context, they have no real de- 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 determination in terms of resolving this issue in terms of poverty in the, in American society. And this particular truth, when we talk about society, which talks about essentially ma- uh, wealth maximization, all that matters. In other words money over life. And so therefore, as long as you have a similar kind of formula that exists in the mind of very powerful people, then the bottom line is, uh, is um, poverty is not going anywhere. Now, they also read an interesting uh, statistic. You know, between 1945 and 1979, wages adjusted for inflation averaged 2%. So in other words, people were assured of a raise, yearly raise when they worked. Also, with French benefits in terms of health, insurance, those kinds of things, those kinds of things were affordable, you know, uh, prior to 1979. But after 1979, things changed. Wages adjusted for inflation was only 0.3 tenths or 1%, uh, uh, <coughs> which means that the level of poverty grew immensely. Now, why did the level of poverty at this particular point in history grow? Well, it grew simply because at that point in time, that was, that was the beginning of capitalists shifting jobs and factories abroad. In terms of maximizing their profits, they realized that 
shipping jobs and factories abroad was much more profitable for them. They weren't, they weren't concerned about the state of the economy. And so when we talk about poverty, we can't talk about poverty without talking about the systematic structures of capitalism that facilitates uh, uh, poverty, in particular, of the kind of greed and average that's pretty much a standard when it comes to the capitalist mindset. Now, and, you know, when, when we talk about this poverty, I think it's also important to understand that as a result of these, these capitalists picking jobs and shipping them abroad, it recreate, became, what came into evolution was this whole question around the gig economy. In other words, you become an independent contractor. So essentially what they're saying is that you're on your own. Uh, you know, so they can pay you pretty much whatever they want to pay you. They have to take taxes on your labor. They leave all that up to you. So at the end of the year, you end, you end up indebted simply because you, you work under the auspices of an independent contractor, which means that there is no possible way in terms for you to avoid the question in terms of poverty, which is precisely what they want. While they benefit economically, or the masses of people suffer financially, but that's precisely what they want. And by, by creating this, this label of independent contractor, it facilitates that, and that's called the so-called gig economy. Now, this gig, and finally, the gig economy, I think it's important to point out, that when we talk about the gig economy, we talk about declining wages in society. What we have to fundamentally understand, with those declining wages comes uh, deficits for the government. In other words, if people don't have resources to, to buy or to consume, it means that it impacts on government revenues. If people's wages are so low, that regardless of the government's attempt to extract uh, revenues from the poor, given the fact that poor people's revenues are not substantial anyway, you can only get so much, so much revenue from, you know, uh, from, from these individuals. And so it means that overall the government, the, the U.S. economy, it cl- declines. And this is what we had to understand fundamentally that one of the things that when we talk about in the context of capitalism, if you don't have a large measure of social spending to, 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 to ensure that government have access to revenues, the economy suffers, it declines, it falls. And this is, this is essentially what's going on right now. And so what people have to understand this question of poverty, it's not an accident. It's all by, by design. It's part of a structure. It's part of a capitalist structure. And if we don't understand that fundamental reality, the bottom line is that nothing's going to change, no matter what we say, what we do, if we don't fundamentally understand the structure that facilitates poverty in American society, then the bottom line is not only not going anywhere, but it's going, also, it's going to actually increase. And we have to be very, very concerned about that. And with that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll make our transition to Brother Anthony, who is a member of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. Welcome to Africa on the News, Brother Anthony. Revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa. Uh, this is Anthony Williams. Revolutionary greetings also to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. I'm an an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, Please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org to learn more about our program and objective. Thanks. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we will next make our transition to Brother Moses, who is a member and representative of the DC Metro Cuba DC Metro Coalition. 
in support of the Cuban Revolution. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And a slight correction, it's, it's the D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We've got solidarity, but it's, it's, it's a little more than support. Um, but anyway, um, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism. From the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of social, scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968, I called Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that there is one. There's, I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment. E R A yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. We have to observe and analyze and understand scientifically what's motivating people and and what their aspirations are, and and deal with them accordingly. You know, the, and so um, we find that most people are self-interest oriented. They have different narratives, but the only key thing that, that holds it all together is in their self-interest. And so we we have to recognize the people for what they are and struggle. The struggle is to bring reality to everyone, to get everyone subjective in line with the objective, the objective conditions, the objective goals. And that's revolution is the only solution, scientific socialism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from, uh, from Brother Moses, we go to now, Brother Tibukwe who is a member of the Pan-African Revolutionary Associate Party, the PRSP. Welcome, Brother Subutre. Thank you, Brother brother Africa. Thank you so much for having me here again tonight um, on this uh, wonderful platform and show, Africa on the Move. Again, my name is, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Brother Subutre. I'm, I'm, that's who I'm working to be, a, a Robert Subutre of our people. Um, and yes, I am a member of PRSP, Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party. I am a supporter of the All-Africans People Revolutionary Party, D.C., and I'm also, moreover, a worker for the people, for our people, for the masses of working people and poor people and African people uh, all over this world. Thank you so much again for having me here tonight. Pan-Africanism, or Paris. Thank you, Brother Sabukwe. And also, we have John with us now uh, as a friend, supporter, and a, and a revolutionary. We have with us our brother from 5866. I can let you introduce yourself, bring you in. The last one number is 5866. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Call the five eight six six. Introduce yourself, please. Four numbers. I beg your pardon. Uh, this is Reverend Beverly Moses. I, I'm just listening in for the first time. I'm the sister of Robert Moses, uh, who introduced himself shortly ago, and uh, 
Just listening. Thank you. Okay, Sister Moses, we always, Sister Moses is super well. We'd like to thank you for your support. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. All right, panelists, what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and community, and we invite the listening audience. If you'd like to join in the segment on what's going on in your world and this community, please feel free to call in at 1323. 679-0841, and share with us from around the world what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Moon.
Today is the 23rd day of July, 2020. This is the last segment of the segment, America Was Never Built for Africans. On this particular day, we just would like to share with you a few historical African facts as it relates to on the 23rd of this day in 1892, Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia was born. In 1952, on this day, Nasser overthrew Egyptian king Farouk, and last but not least, on in 1967, on this day, in Detroit, Africans rebelled for five days and nights for black power. That was in 1967, on this particular day, 23rd of July. Welcome everyone back to Africa on the Moon before we took our break. We said we're going to make our transition to what's going on in your world community. We would like to acknowledge our sister Eleanor Johnson, who has just joined us, and she also is a member of the D.C. Metro DC Metro Coalition in Solidarity of the Cuban Revolution. So what we're going to do right now for our panelists and for those listening, if you want to join us, please feel free to dial in 323-679-0841. And give your views respectively to what's going on in your world community. Right now, we go to Brother Haki and we ask Brother Haki, Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? The mic is yours. Brother Africa, I think what's going on in my community is going on in all the communities, and that's namely uh, this, uh, this information coming out of Florida, <laughs> which I, I think is, is, is extraordinary. But in any event, the, the, the so-called uh, governor of uh, Florida, Ron DeSatan, uh, he, he got together a, uh, a panel of individuals to formulate a, a educational plan for the children in Florida. Essentially, the, the plan said that uh, the curriculum would say says that uh, some blacks uh, benefited from slavery. And that, in fact, uh, slavery is very, very useful for African people. Uh, that is a very, very interesting claim, uh, given the fact when you go back and judge, look at history, and when you talk about mathematics, science, uh, you know, astrology, agriculture, all those things, all those systems, those systems uh, pre preceded uh, the evolution of so-called West. And so, therefore, this notion that somehow that these disciplines are unique to African people is just disingenuous. And one of the things in D.W. Noah's book where he, he talked about, when he talks about the fact that the disagreement was coming, that it was agreed upon Western leaders, to downplay the historical factors of, of, of Africa, uh, to this day, impacts in terms of our, our understanding in terms of Africa's contributions to the world. And as a consequence, uh, uh, denies our children information that they need in terms of being all it truly can be. So clearly, uh, this notion that uh, some black benefit from tra- slavery was, was uh, somehow, uh, uh, to say the least, uh, it's just unbelievable. But in any event, uh, to co-sign, you know, this particular this particular move, uh, they had a couple of uh, so-called black conservatives. One in particular, Dr. Francis Rice, um, who's a, a, a head president of the National Black Republican Association here in Florida. She also heads the African American History uh, Standard Work Group. It's very, very interesting. So she co-signed this this this, this finding. Uh, not only is it not factual, but it's just so outrageous. It's hard to to to, to it's hard to to believe that anyone would subscribe to such nonsense when you, when you stop and think about it. If you, for instance, if you say to me that, uh, that Jews or the Roma benefited from the Holocaust, most people would say that would be absurd. 
So why is it about African people that empowers these people to actually create this, with this concept that African people benefit from slavery and this, to the extent that it provides useful skills for African people? It's ironic. But anyway, also, you know, one of the things that, you know, the, the butchers that claim that, in fact, uh, that uh, slavery was, was provided useful skills for African people, they gave examples of Lewis Latimer, Booker T. Washington, James Fortune, and uh, Paul Coffey, to name a few. Now the problem with this, the problem with this, with using individuals, or to justify this notion that slavery was a benefit to African people, was that much of this, this much of this was, was, was disingenuous. It wasn't true at all. And in fact, if you did a simple Google search, you could have simply ascertained that what they were saying was not true. So, it, so it raises the question: Why would you consciously put forth information which you know is not true? Uh, it's, and and not, not only that, Brother Africa, it's the, 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 the problematic aspect of this statement is also uh, uh, exists on, on a myriad of levels. One, I think, one of the things, when you talk about in terms of African achievement society, much of the achievements of African people in American society, despite the, 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 the oppression, was, was uh, much of the skills they required was self-taught. Also, and when we talk about in terms of this particular report, in terms of just you know, how idiotic it was, Many of the individuals at the time of the accomplishment weren't even enslaved, and not to mention that many of the people that have mentioned the examples who benefited from slavery uh, were never slaves. And, and finally, and as I alluded to before, one of the things that we had to understand is that Africans came here without skills. In fact, uh, one of the things ruling capitalists at the time understood, they understood the accomplishment of Africa, and they understood Africa could be useful in terms of building their society. They went there solely for the purpose in terms of making sure they took the best and the brightest from the continent of Africa, brought them here specifically to build. So there's a notion that somehow they were lacking skills prior to becoming enslaved. It's a misnomer. It's not true at all. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. In, in, in America, it doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter. It's what you can get away with. And to the extent that people uh, don't do their research, they tend to believe this kind of nonsense, and it's an unfortunate. Also, but with the response to this kind of nonsense that's put out by, you know, the Florida Educational Association was very, 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 very swift. Andrew Spar, uh, Florida Educational Association head, uh, he stated Booker T. Ralph, Booker T. Washington, he was freed after, at nine years of age, gained his skills after enslavement. So we talk about the great Booker T. Washington in terms of his inventions, in terms of his scholastic, uh, uh, his scholastic pursuits, and those kind of things in terms of the contributions he made to African people. Joshua Stein of Georgetown, when he talked about Louis Latimer, and of course, Louis Latimer invented the, the boiled filament, assisted in, in designing the telephone, uh, was slave only for four years between 1848 and 1852. James Fortune, shoemaker, well, he was born in slavery, but he escaped in 1784. Uh, and he served on a ship, and he uh, was responsible for, he became wealthy, uh, building, uh, 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 he became a ship, a shipmaker, a sailmaker for ships. Now, obviously, when you talk about you know, um, building sails or ships, that kind of skill you wouldn't get in a plantation. Uh, so clearly, you know, um, this notion that James Fortin benefited from slavery uh, is, 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 really, is really faulty. Also, Henry Blair, um, the rally is there was no proof that he was ever enslaved. He invented the, cotton, the, the, content, the corn planter and the content, cotton planter. Uh, Paul Coffey, he was a son of emancipated slaves. He worked on a wheeling ship, started his own shipping business. Of course, understanding how to run a shipping line, uh, that's that kind of information you would get on a plantation. So clearly, this information was acquired elsewhere. It wasn't a result in terms of being enslaved. Uh, Jan, John Chavis, uh, who was part of, uh, had a, part of a free black family, he fought in the Revolutionary War, and he became a great educated, educator, not, not just for African people, for, 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 for 
across the board, irrespective of ethnicity. So clearly, when we talk about kind of this, uh, this kind of this, this kind of information being put forth, this kind of information is finally legitimized. We got to ask ourselves, what is the real motivation in terms of doing such a thing? One of the things I think certainly is to make sure that kids don't learn, not just African kids, but all kids don't learn the truth in terms of in terms of African and African, African history in American society. I think also it, it, it serves interest in terms of making sure, you know, that if you can if you can justify in the minds of African children that in fact they have nothing to offer to society, that as history shows that African people have never contributed to society, then you can you can reinforce this notion that in fact they're based upon skin color, that you are by nature inferior. And so this is part of the thinking in terms of in terms of of, of, of you know pushing forward such nonsense in terms of you know uh, uh, slavery being a, somehow a benefit. Uh, to African people, and finally, Brother Africa, as I looked to earlier, one of the things when you say, when you, when you, when you, if no, who in the society would dare say that that the Jews benefited from from Nazi, Nazism? Who would dare say such a thing? Nobody. But they empowered enough to say that when it comes to African people. In other words, if African people don't fundamentally understand, you know, the very difficult situation you find themselves in society. And when we talk about this, 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 this war being waged with African people, we have to understand that it's not just uh, conducted materially, it's also conducted psychologically. If we don't understand the games that are being played, if we don't prepare our children to refute the kind of mis- mis- miscellaneous, erroneous information that's being, that's, that's being circulated throughout the society, then we set ourselves up for the fail, for the fall. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, this information, I think, for one, I think for, for everyone, I think it's, it's, a source, it's a source of contention because not only is the loneliness and false, but it's downright dangerous and destructive. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. And also, in terms of what you just stated, Brother Haki, we need to remind our listeners and our people is that um, this whole narrative where they're trying to paint a picture that African people sold their own people into slavery as a major mode of how they capture our people. It's, it's not true. Um, like the brother stated several weeks ago, if you talk about trading with people, you only can trade with those folks who have something to trade for and trade with. Africans who already had gold, they already had down their silver, uh, they had their own civilization. When they came to Africa, they had very little to offer Africa. Where they got their gold from? What could they give Africa that we didn't have? We talked about the history shows how prosperous Africa was. So this whole question about we just hand our people over, you know, that's a bad thing that it changed. Clearly it was taken by force. Anyway, let's move on. Brother Anthony, talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Um, neocolonialism is turning out to be the dominant form in which Africans experience imperialism worldwide. And it's intensifying. And, uh, and uh, let's see, uh, social media is being used to, uh, uh, to dumb down our youth. And, and, uh, and, and uh, in other words, uh, people tend to receive information and sound bites only, and not through uh, thorough, uh, you know, study and research. 
which is what uh, a lot of educational institutions that exist in African societies are discouraging. And uh, this is a serious problem uh, worldwide, not just in, in capitalist countries like the U.S., but also it goes on all over the world, even uh, especially at home. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, those of us who, uh, who have a higher level of understanding and knowledge need to uh need to organize to change this situation and also uh the violence uh uh you know that's perpetrated among africans in the u s is uh is spreading like wildfire and uh you know and uh you know africans because of um the imperialist offensive uh you know resort to violence to resolve uh most of the issues and this is having a devastating impact on the african community Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we're going to make that transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. You know, a concrete analysis of the concrete conditions is the life and soul of Marxism. And being a Marxist, I need to ask you, is 5866 still on the line? Can you repeat that again, Brother Moses? Is five eight six six still on the line? Is five eight six six still on the land? Yeah, on the line. You, my sister. Yes, she is. Okay, that makes a difference. All right, I just want to give honor where honor is due. Um, my sister was raised up on the real deal. That's Jesus Christ. You know, on her knees praying uh, from the childhood and. And she's turned into a marvelous, marvelous woman. And I, I'm proud that she uh, has taken her precious time to listen in tonight. And uh, I, she's well-educated, uh, over-educated as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, um, I, I'd like to give honor where honor is due. And so and the main thing I think is going on in my world right now is this Trump. Trump said, we like oil. Syria's got oil. We're going to take the oil. So he's sending in the military, and there's bases in Syria today stealing oil from Syria. Syria has not given them permission to be there. They're violating the sovereignty of a country. And at the same time, they're hollering about sovereignty of Ukraine. And I mean, it's just crazy. And so, anyway, it's all self-interest. When you analyze the narratives, no matter what, this, when all the bottom line comes out, it's about self-interest. And so uh, we need some people who are compassionate, you know, empathizing, loving, charitable, and uh, a little altruism in, in, in terms of taking care of the people's needs. We need people who are going to serve the people and keep politics in command. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. 
Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we'll go to our sister Eleanor, and we'll welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in this news? Well, first of all, I'd like to say good evening to you, my fellow analysts, our listening audience, both here and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and it's an interesting thing that happened this week. On the 17th, a conference convened in Brussels with 15 countries participating, including Cuba. Honduras, South Africa, and Spain, Pakistan. And the purpose of the conference was to to examine what's happening with the world and the fact that there's so many more conferences than ever before being called, but that many nations struggling for revolution and independence and trying to shake the shackles of neocolonialism are excluded from those events. So that's something interesting on the world stage. Right now you see that uh, there continues to be uh, global warming continues to have a tremendous impact this week uh, with the fires in southern Europe and Greece. Um Interesting enough, last week I talked about Fortex, and uh, which is a EU-funded program, and um, and uh, the EU BAM, I think, is called program that's intended to do what is happening in Tunisia in Libya, and that intent is to and again, uh, news reports continue to show uh, Europeans going to North Africa with the intent of stopping the global migration that's going on through the environmental catastrophe um, as a result of global warming. And uh, they're training militias. So these are armies intended to attack persons, families, young people struggling to seek refuge uh, in the global north or wherever they choose. The intent is to restrain them in North Africa. And uh, this is quite an interesting phenomenon. Uh, in Nigeria, you see that the litigation is continuing to go on over the um, recent election where the ruling party somehow prevailed because what Nigeria had guaranteed is that every vote would be counted and with the computerized uh, uh, voting boxes, each vote would be counted and publicized at each polling place so you would see where the candidates stood. On the day of the election, the Internet went out in the entire nation. So, uh, or at every polling place. I don't know about the entire nation, but I do know that the polling places lost Internet contact. And the real struggle is over unhoused people. 
and the new aggression you see uh, with the police, both on the metro, uh, trains, as well as the buses. Uh, the unhoused are being asked after paying their fare to get off of the buses and the trains. And the reality of unhoused persons in this country was created. And uh, we need to stop it. Also, as we know, the state of Arizona has outlawed not only teaching of black history, but also uh, Mexican history and Mexican-American history. So they choose to ignore the reality of the 20th century Mexican Revolution, which had a great impact on the revolutionaries of the earliest 20th century, early 20th century, uh, including Mother Jones and um, Eugene Debs and others. So uh, that's an interesting fact. And uh, Moderno uh, uh, as a beer uh, is more than just a beer. It's named after Francisco, M-O-D-E-R-O, I think. Uh, and he was a great revolutionary. He wasn't the father of the Mexican Revolution, but he definitely was a funder of it. So that's a little history. Uh, many Africans went to fight in the Mexican Revolution. And uh, again, you know, we have to end uh, this global warming in Argentina. There was a tens of thousands of fish washed up on shore this week for no apparent reason uh, other than global warming. And we continue to see our brothers and sisters marching through Colombia, trying to reach Panama, to reach the United States, through Mexico to seek refuge in the United States, from Cameroon, uh, West Africa in particular. Thank you. Those are my points of interest I bring to you this evening. Dr. Illinois, next we will go to... Uh, Brother Sibukwe, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Sibukwe. Yes, yes. Two things. Um, all related to South Africa this evening, um, current event. Uh, a lot of things are, are going on in the world, but I want to shed light on uh, South Africa. Um, basically, the first the first uh, matter, the first thing that's going on is basically it was an article released in the Washington Post newspaper uh, highlighting um, the, the, the amount of statues of Nelson Mandela. Now, Brother Africa, I've been given the, the name uh, Sabukwe, and I'm, I'm, I'm more proud to be named Sabukwe than Mandela, I'm, uh, unless we're talking about Winnie Mandela. And I know people may have or, you know, our, 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 our brothers and sisters may have mixed emotions or understanding of Nelson Mandela. I, I, I just, my politics align more with, with Robert uh, Shibukwe. I just want to make that clear. But in this article, it explains that, uh, you know, July 18th is Mandela Day, similar to what we have MLK Day. They turn the holiday 
uh, or to celebrate into volunteering for nonprofits or doing, you know, community service, uh, painting schools, cleaning up parks, knitting blankets. Um, and they talk about the abundance of Mandela statues and memorials. Also similar to uh, our revolutionary Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr., we have a lot of streets and a lot of monuments around uh, the world after after the name after Martin Luther King. And from my understanding and inter- interpretations from from uh, from my understanding of King, I believe he would not want all of this, all of these statues and monuments. He would rather for uh, that power, that wealth or that was given, that was put into those statues and monuments that have been invested in the people or been, been controlled by the people uh, whether, uh, rather than these uh, capitalist governments um, building these mass amounts of, 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 of streets and, and, and monuments to recognize him. That's just my understanding from King, and I will also go further, and I'm not speaking for King, I'm just going off what my interpretation, how I interpret King, or learning King um, and his actions. Uh, and I know this, this article, it is, it's, it's also reciprocal for Mandela as well. From We know in the early beginnings of Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela was locked up. I'm not negating that. That brother was 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 locked up in a room no bigger than a, a closet, if you will, from what I understand, and I'm not I'm not knocking Nelson Mandela's struggles. Um, he is positive and negative than anything. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that that brother did went through about a, about a struggles, and he had some positives. But as you see today with the ANC, um, with his party, it's really not embrace. It's not it's not embracing uh, revolutionary means and methods for the masses of people who are suff- suffering in South Africa. South uh, Africans in South Africa are still uh, struggling, um, and their and their and their and, 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 and their land is not not really they don't own their land. Their land is still confiscated and stolen by Europeans who 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 squatted on the land of South Africa. And when I talk about South Africa, I'm not just talking about the, that territory. Uh, on the tip of Africa, uh, that's titles uh, that's called South Africa. I'm talking about Botswana. I'm talking about Namibia. I'm talking about uh, Zimbabwe, Mozambique. All of that is is from my understanding. Angola, Zambia is, is, is South Africa, and they have all of those Africans in those territories have have similar struggles. But my my point, and I'm a, I'm gonna conclude with this uh, article, is that, and I just say. I just say it from another, from from a a, a, a brother from Africa. Um, uh, in his article, uh, what, what they said, uh, um, give me one second. Uh, let me locate it. He said even some of, uh, even some of the uh, memorials to Mr. Mandela have fallen on hard times. A Johannesburg bridge named for him that crosses over dozens of stalled trains. On Russian tracks is a hot spot for muggers. A, a crack has begun to split as the base of the country's largest monument to Mr. Mandela, a 30-foot bronze statue in Pretoria, South Africa's executive uh, culture. Uh, Mr. Vada, Vada, 17 years old, belongs to a generation that knows Mr. Mandela only as a hysterical figure in text, books, and films. To him, Mr. Mandela's fight 
to end apartheid was admirable, but the huge economic gap between black and white, well, I'm going to say Africans and Europeans, they got the title as black and white South Africans. I'm going to say Africans and Europeans. African, we are, as black people are Africans, those uh, what they call white South Africans are Europeans who are squatters on the land. Let's be frank and, and, and understand what we're talking about. Um, but he, he says what would be on his mind when he votes for the first time next year, he said he didn't revoke. This is him speaking, the 17-year-old brother in South Africa. He, he said Mandela did not revolt against white people. Um, he said, this is Mr. This is the 17-year-old brother speaking. He would have taken revenge. <laughs> this, is, this is him speaking um, against those squatters, those Europeans who stole the land from Africa. So this is the critique that this 17-year-old brother in South Africa has given uh, Mandela his critique. And I just conclude by saying that uh, in regards to, 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 to making Mandela Day or people of struggle, our leaders of struggle, turning their, hot, turning, turning their day that, we, that we've created as Africans, right? MLK, Coretta Scott King and Africans in the 80s, uh, uh, organ, you know, mobilized, if you will, to get a holiday and MLK name. But I would say uh, uh, government organizations like AmeriCorps, the domestic version here in America of, of, of Peace Corps, which goes into uh, black neighborhoods and 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 identify and, and them with, with Europeans coming in there to tell us, tell our kids what to learn and tell us how to how we should go about. Uh, 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 organizing our communities, AmeriCorps, you can research it, but AmeriCorps turns MLK Day into a day of what they call service. Now, I'm not, uh, these, these, these band-aids are feeding the homelessness, popular, uh, brothers and sisters, they do that in churches, and AmeriCorps goes, goes in the community, and these churches, and they have uh, food, um, they, you know, attempting to feed the homelessness, and we're going to give clothes away. We're going to give food away to make themselves feel good. That's not revolutionary, brothers and sisters. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that uh, do not give food or give clothing to our brothers and sisters in homelessness, but that is not the solution. You should not end there. Um, that's 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 a that's that's what you know. That's a piece of. That's a part of it. That's not. That, if you understand what I'm saying, that's not the solution. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to, to, is, is, is to bring equality for everybody. In order to bring equality for everybody, you have to disregard a classless, oppressive, exploitative, exploitative system in the form of capitalism. It has to go. It has to cease. This is my point of bringing this up. And the brother, seventeen-year-old brother in Africa, I wish it was. Uh, I wish we could get him some political education to understand Robert Sabukwe and Nelson Mandela Moore, and uh, uh, Dr. the other revolutionary freedom fighter, Martin Luther King Jr., and not only that, uh, Kwame Nkrumah, right in Africa, uh, Ahmed Sekoutere, uh, right in Africa, that Steve Biko, right in Africa, Winner Mandela, they all, but in Africa, but I'm just going to specify, in, and me being as an Nkrumah, I'm going to specify Kwame Nkrumah's uh, 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 vision of a united scientific socialist of Africa. There's no borders, uh, and that's unifying Africa. Now, the last thing I'm going to wrap up quickly is this term is uh, another thing they got going on, or a term that they call it capitalism. And I uh, just want to get 
get the panelists' thoughts about this. Now, in this article uh, out of the New York Times, they define woke capitalism as, for example, um, um, uh, corp- corporations uh, aligning their merchandise, their services uh, with the struggles of, 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 of the masses of people. For example, uh, the Black Panther movie was, in an instance, a, 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 a example of work capitalism because when you see the Black Panther, if you know the Black Panther movie, it bought in billions of dollars, um, but it, it betrayed Africa and it betrayed African people, the struggles of African people and history in this movie. They, they basically, this movie, and Bob Brown of, of AAPRPGC, please, he, he did a, a phenomenal uh, 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 critique on the Black Panther Party struggle, on the history of the Black Panther. The Black Panther movie, which capitalized off the, off the struggles of Lowndes Freedom uh, County uh, Party, uh, Kwame Ture, the first Black Panther Party, um, they took that image. When I say they, I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, uh, Stan Lee or Stanley Lieber and Steve Dicko or whoever. These uh, Europeans, and I'm just saying, these, these you know, not, not just because they're Europeans, but they, this, these are capitalists of a Marvel and Disney Enterprises. They took the struggles of, of the first Black Panther Party in Lowndes Freedom County, and, uh, and they took the struggles of the Congo with Patrice Lumumba, who created this, 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 this character of Black Panther, made billions of dollars off, the, off of this movie. This is what, you, this, is what this, this article is, is framing as woke, woke capitalism. Um, and I conclude by the last example of Colin Kaepernick, uh, the quarterback of the, uh, in, uh, reti- I guess he's retired now, quarterback who took a stand by taking a knee um, during the Star Spangled Banner in honor of Africans who are murdered by police. They utilized Nike, another corporation in 2018, utilized his image and himself and the struggles of, of African people being murdered by police officers and, and the white supremacy and capitalism, the hell we catching, in a controversial, what they call controversial commercial or advertisement. Um, and this commercial, it, it was it reported in this article, brought in tons of money. They came out good after this commercial, tons of money, tons of merchandise was, was sold after this advertised uh this commercial was viewed on television or on social media so i conclude you know these are two things that's going on in my world brother after we have to take this struggle more serious we cannot just say catchphrases we cannot just say people uh, revolutionary freedom fighters names um just blurt out a name here or name there and just say organize this and organize we got to define what we mean by organizing and i'm saying organize in a if you're an african person you need to, if you're a person, African, black person, melanated person, however you want to frame it, you're African at the end of the day, you need to be organizing yourself, joining yourself, aligning yourself with a pan-Africanist, revolutionary, scientific, socialist organization. AAPRPGC is waiting for you. The All-Africans People Revolutionary Party DC is waiting for you. The PRSP, Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, is waiting for you. If you're in the Congo, Friends of the Congo, all of these organizations that are named are waiting for you, and you have to take this, this struggle serious. We done did we done deal with this struggle years after generations after generations uh, dealing with uh, 
uh, uh, capitalism, feudalism, slavery, all these systems exploited uh, the masses of working class people, uh, whether it was the king and queens exploiting the serfs or whether it was slave masters, um, as they call slave masters, enslaving uh, Africans, and, and the capitalists right now exploiting the working class people. Thank you. Thank you, my brother Sadukwe, and what we're going to do right now is we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll ask each one of our panelists and analysts to give that critique on the article that we chose today for this part three, America Never Built for Africans. That's the article we ask our people to check out. It basically titled, If the Police Can Decide Who Qualifies as a Journalist, there is no free press. We won't critique that and get the implication of that possibility of what it means if that happens. So as always, we're going to take this quick station break and we'll come back and continue the segment of what's going on in your world and the community. This is Brother Africa. This is Africa on the move. Black man, go on and get a cat scan. Our heads ain't wrapped too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. 20 years with my medicine, but they want to throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. 400-year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty Conscious trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. You was trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call them kings and treat them like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. How do you do for Maui, bro? Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning rising, my interval long kicking. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch Black Power Docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. We gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass been on ass been like a has been Raising the trap when the guard talk math and moves with a max in Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established Cut camera action, I cut lines with my sad card My bitch is packing, then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy They caught him flagging, then huddle around him with a stat chart Look, you stay I wake up feeling better than I I ever been check out my melanin It's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge I spit stylish 
Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, caught chases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent you and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king yeah. Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty one slice buck fifty, both get cut quickly Until they free Goldie, nobody can fuck talk with about me Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down You acting like the sun ain't out So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down You acting like the sun ain't out Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page in history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne in them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, black man, they give you whack answers, they robbing you with Batman, they give you Black Panther, when all our people dying, they think that we need a movie, but the box office don't break off the descendants of Huey, think about it, I'm cooler than the Coca-Cola polar bear, hold up, roll up something potent right before we go in there, Maroon Custom support that shit that touches the streets, puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief, don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shot Then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy's still 50 cent Cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling But nothing stops The judge just makes a hero And a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery Black mirror word the Windex King of the table of contents Human index I handle everything myself The one man quintet Let's take it where it hasn't been yet Dear black man Worth life. One take. Fuck take. Marimbo with Zimbabwe.
Yeah, I think one of the reasons why the Constitution never definitively defined journalism was because I think they, they, they essentially understood that, you know, having access to information is simply not the domain of any particular segment of society. That, in fact, this ability to obtain information, to disseminate information, is, is the responsibility of everyone, irrespective of your, your, your stake in life. So I think that when you talk about a situation where the police are actually determine who's a journalist and who's not, Essentially, what you're saying is that you're going to limit uh, human expression or certainly going to limit people's access to information. I think that's, that's very, very problematic. But of course, when we talk about limiting information, when it comes to situations of injustice in the society, then clearly uh, those, uh, those, uh, those, those written expressions of the systematic injustices that inflict people in society are more likely to be eliminated by people's issues of power by giving the police the power to, to essentially determine who is a journalist and who is not. So in other words, what they're doing is criminalizing uh, people in terms of their pursuit in terms of gaining access to information. I think that in itself is very, very problematic. But I, so I think that one of the things that, you know, I, I was very um, disenchanted with was the fact that when this situation happened, the response from the major corporations, media corporations in the country, there was no response. There's yet to be a real response in terms of this kind of tragedy, this kind of situation unfolding, you know, uh, with these particular journalists, you know, uh, down south. Uh, so to me, uh, you know, it's a very, very dangerous, very, very slippery slope when you start saying that we're going to define what information people should be uh, privy to, what information people allow to divulge, or what information people are allowed to, to, uh, to ascertain. Once you, once, you, once you get to that level, then clearly you're approaching fascism. I think clearly we're already in a fascist state. I think to the level that fascism continues to elevate, it's indicative of the fact that police are now defining what is journalism, what is not. So I think overall, Brother Africa, in and of itself, is very problematic. Thank you, Brother Ashley. Brother Anthony, it seems like there's a declared war on journalists. Not only they're giving authority to the police uh, agencies to define what is journalists, but also they are embedded journalists to follow their war machine and only report what they want them to report. Or if not, they're going to risk either being shot and not coming back, or they find ways to imprison them like they're doing do your thing. Your response to this article, Brother Anthony? Yes, I concur with all the, uh, the points uh, Brother Haki made, and I would add that is uh, that is uh, 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 dangerous for uh, uh, for uh, for people getting access to the truth uh, as much as their abilities allow, and also it's a threat to uh, uh, to to democracy and all uh, you know uh, to the extent which it, it, it can exist in a capitalist society. But uh, you know, it uh, it uh, it it, fo- it, uh, it is a bleak outlook for the learning process, and because t- you cannot make proper decisions without a- an adequate source of information, and uh, it doesn't bode well as long as uh, a system like this. Uh, exists 
And that is one uh, uh, further reason why we have to fight against capitalism. Brother Moses, the journalists become intimidated from, uh, from creating the truth because, no, because they know that the law enforcement can define them as not a journalist because they don't like what they're saying. How should we deal with that, Brother Moses? Well, okay, let's review the case. Um, basically, it was two two journalists with IDs, um, and um, but they weren't. Um, the um, top top of the land um, in terms of the ec- political economy journalists uh, CNN or whatever. Um, anyway, they were they were arrested, um, and the judge the, when they went before the magistrate, he could have dismissed it, you know, and said said yeah they're journalists, but he didn't accept them as journalists, uh, and so. You know, we have a situation where, for the first time uh, in the history of history, journalists are being convicted of of, uh, of of reporting of just being on the scene, uh, period, uh, because they're not authorized to be there as a journalist. So they're journalists, but they can't, they don't enjoy the status of being a journalist. And so the police get to decide who who is a journalist and who is not, whose idea they accept and who they idea they don't accept. And that's the situation we're faced with. And I don't just this, this may go to the Supreme Court eventually, I don't know. Uh, but uh it's definitely I mean with Julian Assange uh, facing WikiLeaks and and um his history and facing hundreds of years if he's exported to the US US of A from Britain, uh, and just for printing the truth, you know, Chelsea Manning was a victim of of conscience. You know, when you tell the truth, you have to, you know, people people didn't like Jesus, and people don't like anybody telling them the truth. Uh, power power is is uh, uncomfortable with the truth. So I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We make our transition to Sister Eleanor. Your critique of this phenomenon, Sister Eleanor. Yeah, you know, one thing that's really important is that the attorney scale said it, their attorney scale said it all. They were journalists, and number two, they worked for the Blade. It wasn't a matter of being. Uh, Robert and I agree with everyone's comment, but the the reality is is that we're moving more towards an authoritarian state. We have news journalism in this country, and very little journalism is really uh, available to the public. In fact, um, Sabukwe mentioned a couple of papers, but you know, we have Fox News now, which Richard Murdoch owns, and there's not much solid journalism. There's not even real radio in this country. And there's, uh, with this authoritarian movement, people are quickly accepting it. You saw how Yunkin was elected governor of Virginia using buzzwords, buzz phrases, and discussing things that don't happen in reality. 
like little kids learning black history or any history in, 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 in grade five or below. They learn the Pledge of Allegiance, geography, math, science, reading. So this is the movement that we're in right now. And it's really necessary for um, us to recognize that with this type of movement, they uh, should be put in a position ideally to take action against the police department and possibly the city because of the magistrate's action. Quite often magistrates, you know, it's a lower level than being an actual judge. And as the article stated, the magistrate could have easily dismissed this case. But this is probably not realizing that there would be so much support from the ACLU and other freedom-fighting organizations throughout the country. And the CNN has moved far to the right in recent years. It's not the, quote, objective platform that it presented decades ago. It does have open uh, forms where it could, you know, records what's going on in Congress and different things. But if you look at the content beyond that, it's very conservative. And you may even see Donald Trump and others. And you have to remember that Congress, a congressman, just stood up in chambers and called us Africans colored people. So we're moving backwards. And uh, systemic racism and hegemony is advancing. And as we move into a class society, we find narrow-minded individuals that only think about themselves and their individual family or group. As long as we're divided and we lack compassion and love for each other, this is acceptable. Um, And uh, it was clear that they were journalists because the officers video cam stated that we're going to arrest those standing videoing the eviction of the unhoused. So with that in mind, i just like to say thank you for this comment, but uh, fascism's on the rise and America's, you know, leading the charge. You know, this is an imperialist nation on the decline. And there are a few people trying to maintain power over the rest of us. And they'll go to any means necessary. And the media is their tool for brainwashing. These mass killings, all of these things play into social media. The news, as many people call it, and they think when they see a bunch of Africans killing each other, that's news. That's not news. That's an atrocity. And people aren't learning anything. And Brother Haki, I agree with all the other analysts. Brother Haki said it's a matter of getting, and Anthony and Robert, it's a matter of having access to accurate information. And the goal is to misinform the masses. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Moore. Brother Subukwe, 
will critique if the police can decide who qualifies as a journalist, they are no free press. Real critique, Dr. Subukwe. Well, basically, this is nothing new. Uh, at at, at uh, r- uh, previous rebellions, of whether it's at Ferguson in 2014, that's uh, killing of Michael Brown, uh, or rather any rebellion in Baltimore, Freddie Gray, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. If you if you go back and look at the at the journalists or the grassroots or or or, or up in uh, not up and coming, but people like uh, platforms like Vice uh, Net Vice uh, Network, their journalists. Has, had they showed it on camera of them being locked up by police officers for for not only uh, uh, trying to you know not not, not necessarily participating in these uh, rebellions, but moreover uh, for for reporting for reporting and showing the attacks by police officers on on Africans and working class people who are protesting and rebellion and rebelling against these uh, uh, murders and, and attacks on African people. They, 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 and 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 one, I, I recall one uh, journalist saying on camera that as a journalist, he has the right to report and be present to to report what's going on at these uh, protests, rebellions, and they slammed his slammed his ass on the ground, excuse my language, and locked him up. Still locked him up and brutalized him. And this is a this is somebody of vice. Of a vice network, or, or, or you know, of a corporation, I believe this is not grassroots, but it been a bit. It, it has been an attack on, on grassroots uh, grassroots media uh, since I since since, since, the, since our oppression began here in the health of North America. Uh, whether it's been an attack on the crisis uh, uh, newspaper WB Du Bois, or whether you know any of these. Uh, the North Star, any of these, uh, 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 if you follow me, any of these uh, news news articles that 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 explains our, our struggle, that that reports our struggle and gives uh, attempt to give solutions on our struggle and organizations contact. But this this is nothing new. This is imperialism, capitalism at 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 its best. Political political education is increasing. Um, and you, I got to be uh, among the masses, if you will, because you. And and, and I base my my calculations on uh, the work of of of, of organizations of, uh, that we just spoke about, AAPRPGC. Um, when you look at social media, or uh, when you look at YouTube or, or videos, a lot of pan-African socialist-minded, socialist thinking platforms are increasing. On from what I've seen on YouTube, but among the masses, um, across across the world, out on the continent, and here in in in, in, in the hills of, of of America. So, I mean, you could you could take that for what it's worth, but I look at it as I observe it as a as as, as a positive. And not only that, when you see attempts on African Liberation Day, Pan African Socialist, uh uh uh. uh Tool, if you will, to organize our people. Let's, let's be frank. It's, it's, it's a tool. They, the, the 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 mainstream, the capitalist corporations at B, they take African Liberation Day and call it African Day, and they have 
musicians like the Roots to sell them, to play their music and to celebrate it, uh, Africa, and they and they use musicians. Uh, 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 one of the artists' uh, songs is played on 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 a platform. Um, uh, oh, I forgot. Uh, 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 oh, I forgot her name. Yala, uh, Ali Yaladay. Uh, oh, I forgot her name. But uh, I, I got it. It's killing me. It's killing me, man. But uh, I apologize for the for that for the um, misinterpretation of that sister's name. But um, but anyhow. You catch my drift. They take these of uh, our music and and, and and culture, and they just that's what they focus it on: music and culture. They take the politics out of it. They take the the, the, the revolution out of what they're what they refining from what we develop as tools to our to uh, to, to 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 overcome our struggles and our oppression with this imperialist capitalist system. But this right here, this this is what we see. If the police can decide who qualifies as a journalist, hell, they've been doing this. They've been confiscating phones from from individuals who just film film uh, recording their actions on what they're doing. They did this with the uh, Black Panther Party when they was going and and, 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 and popping up on uh, uh, police officers uh, when they was uh, harassing a brother or a sister. Or what have you? So this this is nothing new under, under the sun. This is another attempt on our on our um, struggles and work as Pan Africanists, as 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 the working class people. This is this is all. That's, that's my take on it. And we got to more than ever. Uh, we have to continue to polit- political educate. It's an attack on this platform, and I I'd be the first to say it uh, on African on the move. These technical difficulties, uh, these 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 uh, hesitations. Uh, or what have you? Uh, these are, uh, are are in some houses are attacked to undermine the platform. When Carlos called in and tried to say uh, ludicrous things about uh, of, of saying, "Why are you talking about uh, Africa? Socialism is a joke," or whatever these previous previous callers who called with this with these comments about um, police, uh, we need to stop talking and stop crying about and blaming capitalism and this and that. What are you talking about blaming capitalism? Stop blaming capitalism. Who else? It, 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 the reality is there. Reality is there. You you, you got to look at the reality. Who the hell else is going to? We're not doing it to, our, to ourselves. It's what they try to project and what they try to tell us in their propaganda and their media. It is the capitalists and the imperialists and neo-colonialists the sellouts who are keeping this 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 this, this uh Oh my goodness! I had to catch myself. I didn't want to use that that, that, that bad language, but this is what it is. Is 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 um just to slow myself down. This is this is uh hypocrisy uh, for for them to say that we have freedom of speech, and then they're attacking our freedoms of speech. Um, I conclude with that, man. Getting worked up. As you say, my brother, go freedom of the press. You better own one. But then again, that don't mean anything either because you don't have the force to protect it. You're still in trouble. Anyway, panelists, journalists, we thank you for this segment. We're going to make our transition to our central point tonight. As we close out this program, part three, America was never built for Africans. Now, one of the things you can see real clearly in terms of what a country is about is to be based on the type of institutions that they create and allow it to be in existence. I want you all to listen to this clip titled the Central Time Agency, the CIA, okay? We talk about the CIA, the Central Time Agency, tortures indigenous children. 
And when we come back, we'd like to talk about that as we end this particular segment. Imagine that would be it for Africa. You're listening to Black Agenda Radio. I'm Margaret Kimberly. Orisanmi Burton is an assistant professor at American University's Department of Anthropology. Black Agenda Report recently published an article he wrote in Truthout entitled, New Documents Link CIA to Medical Torture of Indigenous Children and Black Prisoners. His new book, Tip of the Spear, Black Radicalism, Prison Repression, and the Long Attica Revolt, will be out in October of 2023. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Your article is one of those things that shocks and doesn't shock at the same time. Uh, we know about the terrible things that the CIA has done. We know about these MK Ultra experiments. But I, I also think it's important to not to say, well, we already knew about that and that uh, it must constantly be revealed. Give our listeners an overview of what you wrote and why it's so important. I should start by discussing the ongoing struggle that's been happening in Canada, in Quebec, around Indigenous people trying to find what they believe are the the mass graves of their children who were stolen and many of whom did not survive Canada's residential school system where um, the Canadian settler government kidnapped uh, Native children and put them into these schools as part of a broader project of cultural genocide and assimilation. New information has just come to light over the past two years, which suggests that some of those children were actually used as raw material as part of the CIA's Project MKUltra experiments. Um, and so there's, there's two simultaneous struggles unfolding now that are intertwined here. On the one hand, there are victims of MKUltra, most of whom are white, who have been engaged in a protracted lawsuit for quite some time. And now there's also a group called the Mohawk Mothers, which is uh, suing the Royal Victoria Hospital, uh, McGill University, and other entities, including the Canadian government, because they've found evidence that suggests that some of their children are buried on, on the grounds of that hospital and that those children were also part of MKUltra uh, experiments. My work looks at, you know, the history of black radicalism and state repression in the prison system, specifically in New York. And, and my own research, I've uncovered connections to MKUltra doctors from Canada, from the Allen Memorial Institute and McGill University uh, in Quebec, in Montreal, doing experiments on black prisoners. And as I looked more into the struggle that was happening uh, with the Mohawk mothers, it became increasingly clear that some of the same doctors who were experimenting on prisoners in New York may have been uh, the ones that were experimenting on children in Canada. So my goal in writing the piece was to show how these different atrocities are interlinked and also to bring more attention to the struggle that's happening in Canada, which I think a lot of people in the United States just aren't aware of. And as you said, absolutely, MKUltra is something that we know about, but it's also something that we, we in a general sense, uh, many people try not to think about or don't want to deal with. But, you know, these histories are very much with us today. And so that's what I was trying to write about. And MK Ultra, does 
does that term have any special meaning? MK refers to a specific section of CIA projects, but it has to do with um, the technical services division of the CIA, I believe, which is the division that does a lot of sort of highly secretive, but also highly experimental projects. But I'm glad you asked because really that term MKUltra is more of a catch-all term for a whole range of projects that had various different names. So, you know, there's Project Artichoke, um, there's MK Search, um, there's MK Ultra. There's a whole range of these projects which constantly sort of changed names, but which ultimately boiled down to the same imperative, the same experimental imperative, which is to try to crack the human mind, to try to see if it was possible to break down uh, people's consciousness, to eradicate their memories to insert new memories, to make people act in ways that were contrary to their will. So it's psychological warfare, but an even more intense form of psychological warfare, which involves direct forms of manipulation on the mind and, and the brain through drugs, through hypnotism, through electrode implantation. So these were all things that the CIA, and not just the CIA, but other governments were experimenting with, the extent to which it was possible to seize control uh, of the human mind. When did these experiments come to light? Well, it was a gradual process. You know, the big revelation happened right around the time of Watergate and the sort of U.S. intelligence community, specifically the FBI and the CIA, came under intense public pressure because up until that point, right, the CIA was founded, I believe, in 1947. Between 1947 and 1973 or somewhere around there, they functioned with zero oversight whatsoever. Uh, and so, you know, their activities were carried out completely beyond public scrutiny. And so it wasn't until Watergate and revelations around what these different intelligence agencies were doing that more information came out about MKUltra. Interestingly enough, the person who was selected to oversee the commission to investigate the CIA's operations within U.S. borders, right, which is in violation of its charter. The CIA is, is legally prohibited from operating within U.S. borders, but of course it does that, and MKUltra is one example of how it does that. The person selected to oversee this committee was Nelson Rockefeller, the former governor of New York, who by then was the vice president of the United States, and who, according to my own research, was actually actively involved in facilitating the very experiments that he was supposed to be investigating. So it's no surprise that that report, the so-called Rockefeller Commission report, um, revealed very little about what was actually happening. But it did it reveal the existence of the program. However, at around that time, when it became clear uh, that the CIA's activities were to be exposed, the head of the CIA ordered that all administrative files related to MKUltra be destroyed. And so that's why we know so little about MKUltra is because uh, those files were destroyed, preventing researchers and investigators from looking into it. 
It wasn't until 1977 when a mislabeled and misfiled box of administrative files were located um, that more information about MKUltra came to light in the 70s. But as I mentioned in the article, what we know is just the tip of the iceberg and that this is not by accident. Very powerful people wanted this information to remain hidden. And so that's why we have to kind of dig around and connect the dots and, and, and look beneath the surface to figure this stuff out. And as you say, uh, Nelson Rockefeller, before he was uh, vice president, was governor of, of New York State for many years. He was governor during the Attica uprising. And uh, after Attica, there were revelations about experiments on prisoners in New York State. Incarcerated people and specifically incarcerated black revolutionaries um, had talked about experiments happening, right? And if you look at publications like the Black Panther, there are some articles in there that talk about experiments that were happening in New York after Attica, and even before Attica, really. But no one really took it seriously. It wasn't really promoted unless you look at the underground press. To my knowledge, you know, this is the first piece in, in my book, which is coming out later this year, will be the first to really talk about those experiments. But even I don't talk about them that much because, uh, you know, it's very hard to find evidence. It's very hard to find people who were targeted by these experiments who are still alive. Part of the strategy of how these experiments were conducted uh, was that those who carried them out targeted people who were very vulnerable, targeted people who they viewed as disposable, and so a lot of these people didn't survive, or if they did survive and tried to tell their story, they weren't taken seriously. They were called conspiracy theorists or called crazy. And the other thing, it's important to keep this in mind, is that these experiments were a very small part of the overall structure and response to Attica. It's not like they were, like in New York, for instance, it's not like they were experimenting on thousands of people, right? Um they were very selective in who they brought in because they were very aware that if exposed, um, their actions would produce negative uh, repercussions. Um, but absolutely, the experiments in New York, to my knowledge, the ones that were connected to the Allen Memorial Institute, the Allen Memorial Institute is a psychiatric hospital in Montreal, which uh, was central to MKUltra, Project Subproject 68. In 1966, Nelson Rockefeller hired a team of consultants from that institute to come to New York to conduct experiments on a, a wide range of experiments on incarcerated people. So the experiments in New York that are sort of uh, connected to the CIA started in 66 before Attica. After 71, after Attica, they continued, but they were rebranded, and the experiments became known as the RX program. And the difference there that I can ascertain is that those experiments took on a more explicitly political, which is to say counter-revolutionary orientation. They were more interested in why people who hold revolutionary ideology, uh, why people who engage in militant forms of struggle, why they do these things, if those kinds of activities can be predicted and if those kinds of activities can be remediated or eliminated using biomedical techniques. 
And importantly, the goal of these experiments was not only to maintain order within prisons, um, it was also to develop a more generalized body of knowledge that could be used on populations beyond prison walls. You know, I was, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about the uh, old diagnosis, drapetomania, which was a, a name uh, used to describe people who wanted to escape enslavement. I, I suppose um, trying to find out why people want to be revolutionaries is like, well, because you, somebody needs to be a revolutionary, but to their way of thinking, that's just something to be stamped out. So it is logical that they would want to investigate that. Absolutely. The, these experiments are part of a continuity. They're part of a long history of pathologizing um, of black resistance. Unquestionably. You know, I think it's interesting now that the CIA engages in PR, and, and of course, well, they need to, right, um, considering the things they've done. And now they will say that they're celebrating Black History Month or Dr. King's birthday or Juneteenth or uh, whatever. There was an infamous, I don't know if it was a PSA, it was something on Twitter where they had a young uh, a woman uh, employee, a woman of color, I believe, who used all the jargon that people use now about, you know, she believed in intersectionality or something. I can't remember all of the things that she said. What are your what are your thoughts on things like that? I mean, it's fascinating. You know, I, I saw that, too. And, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter and I'm on my own little in my own little Twitter bubble. So all of my Twitter, the people who are in my orbit, um, responded in the way you did, which is to just kind of scoff at just how like blatant a kind of appropriation this was, a kind of attempt to whitewash um, imperialism and violence. Um, but I mean, it must be working on someone. So I found myself wondering, like, who is the target audience for this? And, and, and how is it that this is still effective, this old strategy? How can this who is this still working on at this point? Um, but I mean, you know, primarily, you know, the, the CIA is, among other things, a, a disinformation uh, organization. And so these kinds of maneuvers need to be expected because that's how these institutions maintain or seek to maintain um, their legitimacy, despite the, the, the various kinds of, of, of violence and expropriation that they are responsible for and destabilization throughout the world. I, I decided to look this up very quickly and I found it. And this was in 2021, a Latina intelligence officer who declares uh, this was part of a recruitment campaign. She says, quote, I'm a cisgender millennial who has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety, anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box checking exercise. Uh, I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refused to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be, unquote. Um, I, I felt the need to, to look that up. It, it actually uh, didn't impress anybody. Uh, you know, people on the right just dismissed it as being woke. Right. And uh, anybody, <laughs> um, the, the um, now almost meaningless 
this word. Well, it does have a meaning, but not uh, uh, the meaning of of those who created it. And uh, people on the left were just appalled. But I felt as though it was there was an important lesson to be learned because I I feel sometimes that there's so much emphasis on language and on what words to use. So uh, I said, you know, if the CIA can appropriate your language, then you need to have different language. It's an indicator that something is amiss in your politics. I hear that. I don't disagree with that. But I mean, I think that we need to understand that those kind of language games, co-optation, appropriation, um, absorption, repackaging, like that's, that's one of their primary strategies. I don't think there's any language that's beyond appropriation. I mean, the, the right wing has been appropriating sort of Marxist, Leninist vocabulary, you know, since at least the 1970s. I know that was a conscious effort that was made at that point. So this is something that we have to expect and be prepared for, and we have to not be necessarily um, tied or married to any particular kinds of language because we know that once you know, our sort of narratives begin to take hold that the, the first strategy before, before violence, the first strategy is going to be co-optation and appropriation um, because that's a legitimizing move. And when the state resorts to violence, that is something that they don't necessarily always like to do because, you know, repression breeds resistance. And so those soft measures um, are going to be the sort of primary strategy, and we kind of just have to be prepared for it. I'm of the mind that, yeah, no language is, is beyond appropriation. So we have to know that and constantly be innovating and creating language that's going to help to captivate people that, that we're trying to move to action. That's a good point. Tell us about your book, which is going to be published in October. Yeah, so the book is called Tip of the Spear, Black Radicalism, Prison Repression, and the Long Attica Revolt. The primary argument is that the best way to understand the historical development of the U.S. prison system since the 1970s is through the rubric of warfare, that prisons of today developed as they have because they are primarily a strategy of counter-revolution, of counter-insurgency a strategy that's designed to contain black rebellion in its various forms, you know, political rebellion, cultural, intellectual rebellion. It's a, it's a reservoir that's designed to contain that as part of a broader strategy to stabilize U.S. empire in the midst of crisis. Um, and so I primarily focus on prisons in New York State, but I think the, the book has uh, implications beyond that. Um, and so the first half of the book is about what I call the Long Attica Revolt. Many of your listeners, probably all of them, are familiar with Attica. It's a story that's been told many times, but I argue that it's never been rigorously told through a radical and re black radical and revolutionary perspective that historians and analysts have, whether intentionally or not, sort of shied away from that aspect of it, not taken that aspect of it seriously. But, but many of the people who were the leaders of that movement 
understood themselves to be revolutionary, and many people who were opposed to that movement understood it to be a revolutionary movement and operated on the basis of that assumption. And so the fact that we don't know the revolutionary story of Attica sort of mystifies the real history of that struggle and mystifies the history of the prison system of today, which in, in, in my estimation largely grew out of a response to Attica. And I mean Attica in the broadest sense, um, because if you study that struggle, you see that it wasn't just confined to Attica prison that many of those people were circulated across various prisons. They were thinking internationally, and they were thinking capaciously about not only how to reform the prison system, but how to transform society. Um, and so that's what the book is about. And then it's about the reaction to this revolutionary movement and how in that reaction we can see the sort of paradigm and the blueprint for the contemporary prison system, which is a form of institutionalized counter-revolution, I would argue. And when your book, Tip of the Spear, Black Radicalism, Prison Repression, and the Long Attica Revolt is published, I hope you'll come back and be a guest again. It'd be an honor. Thank you so much. And that was Orisanmi Burton discussing his recent article, New documents link CIA to medical torture of indigenous children and black prisoners. You just listening to the CIA torture for indigenous children, a report on the black gender report. We close about this segment, part three, America will never be a fair actor. So I put it to parents and you heard that report. You hear how the central housing agency was using not only children, but also using prisoners, business prisoners, as continuing means to the end to study them, to see how they can break and control one's mind. Now, when you listen to that particular piece, what do you take the most from that, Brother Haki? What are some of the things you think? People need to pay more closely attention to that was articulated in that particular interview. I think certainly one of the things we can take from that from that discussion was a question question around uh, longevity for those in positions of power. The ruling class uh, notorious in terms of safeguarding their interests, and as such, uh, they're they they they're forward looking. In other words. They look to the future to, to theorize any potential threats to their power and to then create some, some, some formula in terms of neutralizing that threat to their power. And so in understanding that, we should understand that they, they do any, everything in order to maintain their power. And so when we talk about, you know, uh, the use of, uh, of, of MK Ultra for the purpose of terms of mind control, nobody should be surprised. But I think in, in talking about MK Ultra, there are certain things we have to fundamentally understand from a historical perspective, in terms of the origin of, of MK Ultra, now MK Ultra itself existed over 20 years. I think something between like 1953 to 1973, MK Ultra was was in effect, and this was despite uh, uh, calls from 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 Congress to reel them in in terms of you know some questionable activities that were going on with the CIA. Now, one of the major one of the major in, individuals that played a big part in terms of you know MK Ultra was a, a CIA chemist by the name of Sidney Gottlieb. Now, Gottlieb, between the 50s and the 60s, was instrumental in terms of you know, using drugs simply for mind control. 
I think one of the things that, you know, before we even seriously talk about Gottlieb in terms of his contributions to ML, MK Ultra, we have to understand that even before Gottlieb uh, was, was the head in terms of MK Ultra program, we have to understand Operation Paperclip and its role it played in terms of dissemination of mind control techniques. Now, MK Ultra, uh, I'm sorry, Operation Paperclip, of course, is the operation back in the, uh, back in, I think back in 1944, where the U.S. Uh, brought in, collaborated with Nazi scientists. And then why this is important is because prior to U.S. actually bringing in Nazi scientists to the U.S. for, for, for things like mind control, uh, um, rocket technology, and so forth, uh, it was well established that the Nazis were the first in terms of innovating control experiments specifically in terms of impacting the mind. So in situations in Auschwitz, Dakar, and Nazi Germany in the early 30s, uh, Nazi scientists were, were ahead of their time in terms of using programs in terms of drugs to control the way the mind operates. I think one of the things, you know, uh, and, and in addition to that, Brother Africa, I think one of the things we have to point out, when we talk about MK culture in terms of its, its, its focus on young kids, young children, in this case out of Canada, and political prisoners, uh, one thing specifically when we talk about political prisoners or black political prisoners specifically, one of the things we have to understand in terms of the, 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 uh, as far as, as, far as the, the, power, the powerful are concerned, the implicit threat in terms of black political revolutions is that the power structure, the CIA intelligence community, the FBI, and so forth, they see they have numerous documents stating that the African revolutionaries are more intelligent than the rank and file. So once, so once they start concluding that African revolutionaries are more intelligent than the general African rank and file, then you automatically become an, an implicit threat to the, to, the quo, to the status quo or to the system at large. Because the position is that if, if African revolutions are more intelligent, then by, by nature being more intelligent, they are a threat, whereas the masses of African people are not intelligent, so they don't constitute a threat. So the focus becomes we have to watch those African revolutionaries who are, who are, who are more intelligent. Who are the African revolutionaries? Anyone who takes a stand, anyone who questions the, 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 uh, the events of the day, anyone who questions the, the acquisition of power, anyone who questions uh, the dissemination of power to the extent that it, that it, that it cripples, demeans, dehumanizes, destroys, anyone who questions those narratives becomes, in quote, in their minds, a revolutionary. And so as such, drugs become an intimate part in terms of, in, in terms of making sure that if by innovating new drugs specifically in terms of controlling the way the way the mind operates, then you can identify people, quote unquote, who have the tendency to become black revolutionaries at a very early age and to interject drugs in their lives to make damn sure they don't they don't reach their fullest potential. And keep in mind, we should never forget when we talk about the importation of drugs into the African community, we know about um, Freeway Ricky Ross. We we know about uh, the Dark Alliance in terms of the, the brother uh, Webb who talked about the fact the dissemination of drugs in the African community under the guise of CIA uh, contra connections. So we know about all this in terms of the role drugs play in terms of affecting the way people think. So MK culture is simply an expression in terms of understanding that, you know, drugs can not only debilitate, but, in, but more effectively they can actually rearrange how the, how, the, how the brain is actually wired. And so this is something I think all of us should be very, very concerned about. And if we think for one second, that MK culture is a thing of the past, that this, this technology doesn't persist, then we're sadly mistaken. The bottom line is that 
as long as as long as the potential is there, you know, to, to be to be effective, to make sure that those who challenge the system are, are debilitated uh, to the extent that they they no longer become a threat to the system, then we gotta understand fundamentally that this technology will always be around. Having said that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Hockey. You know we had a brother on this program a month ago who hasn't too long been out of prison. That's exactly the same story he was telling. Fortunately, it's not been the kind of press that it should, but I guess that's how we are test. We need to work a little bit more harder. Next question to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what do you take the most from this particular interview that you just listened to? Um, the ability of the CIA to co-op language. I think that's uh, uh, another aspect we need to uh, pay close attention to. In other words, to turn, uh, uh, to use people's languages. Uh, you know, we're talking, uh, we're talking primarily about English for the moment, but any other language in order to turn, be able to turn terms around uh, to suit their interests. Uh, they get, uh, he gives the example of Marxism-Leninist terminology as an example in uh, his interview. But uh, that could uh, that could happen to any other uh, uh, other human language as well, and uh, that's something I think we uh, we should be concerned about. In addition to uh, MK Ultra, uh, because as he pointed out, uh, let's see, they they rather use soft methods first uh, to uh, repress people uh, because, um, you know, more, uh, you know, violent forms of political repression breed greater resistance. So I think this is something, uh, uh, another aspect we, we have to pay attention to. And the counter to this is we have to be organized on a permanent basis. Thank you, Barbara. Brother Sabukwe, I can come with you with this possibility of the rest of the panelists. Could you think this whole experimentation of coronavirus, this creation, is a part of what you just heard in terms of using different kind of questions to find out more about the body, how to alter people's way of behavior, as well as using it as a form of genocide. Brother Sibukwe, the mic is yours. You got me Brother Moses here. Yeah, Brother Sibukwe. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Sibukwe. The mic is yeah. yours. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Can you hear me, Brother Africa? Okay, okay, yes. To your question, okay, to your question, I would say that they weaponized COVID-19 if they didn't create it, create it or develop it. They, they damn sure weaponized it. Um, uh, the masses of people, 
majority uh, who 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 was who died from this. I had my brother's father. I had family members who died from this virus, and it came like the in the heat of the night, uh, a thief in the night, and took last. Um, African people uh, uh, suffer majority uh, any any like anything else that's detrimental. Um, uh, we suffer the most. Uh, working class people suffer the most. Was uh, lost the most lives. Um, when it was affecting uh, 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 mainstream society, or you know, or 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 or, or, or uh, capitalists, and Trump and everybody was getting sick from it. They took it uh, somewhat serious. They closed down the whole the whole uh, economy, if you will, in 20, 2020. And and when it was affecting them, you know, they they they, they took it serious. But when they got uh, solutions, I guess, and uh, you know, solutions to 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 combat this thing, to help them maneuver. And when they found out it was hurting the economy and it was, you know, they, they kept moving back. They didn't care. They wanted workers to go to work. While uh, Jeff Bezos was flying into space, uh, workers was dying in the Amazon factories or, you know, or, 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 or you know, basically not factories, but um, Amazon plants, if you will, where they, you know, was uh, loading, um, Merchandise and, and what have you, um, loading this stuff, packing this stuff. They was dying in 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 these uh in these um factories. Oh, you know, not, you know, they was dying in, 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 in you know on his creating it. You know, off their labor, they was dying from COVID nineteen while he was flying into <laughs> outer space, if you will. You know, um, and a lot of workers was dying, whether they was in the automobile industry. Uh, working uh, in the four plant, they was dying, or whether uh, you know, um, uh, work working in uh, Kroger and the grocery stores, they was uh, the first ones to get sick. The workers was the, was was the ones that got sick. My father, my brother's father, who died from COVID, um, it was alluded that he caught it, he he caught it from working in a plant because he worked in a plant where you you know they they load batteries, car batteries, if you will. And he was working in this plant, and that's when he contracted it and, and, and got sick. So they damn sure did weaponize it, um, and they did they they did they did due diligence to to make it work um, in their favor when they were trying to use it against Palestine, if you will, Iran. Um, when they were trying to use it against uh, Cuba, Venezuela, but Cuba was was far ahead with their medical uh, uh, with their medical resources and personnel. I just want to shed, shed light to add uh, to this to this MK Ultra in, in, in regards to what uh, Brother Haki stated. He expressed about Sidney Godley. As as anybody on this call need to study, uh, they need to study Sidney Godley and the CIA and M16, the uh, uh, the, the the British uh, CIA, if you will. Uh, um, they they we we need to we need to study all of these attributes because. In regards to Cuba, you know, uh, Sidney Godley, um, he he was involved in making, I mean, you know, uh, trying to make a cigar. But they 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 identified Castro, Fidel Castro, like smoking cigars. They were trying to send him cigars that would blow him up. And not only that, they were trying to uh, send. Uh, I guess uh, what is this thing? Um, uh, I keep calling it. <laughs> not, uh, uh, LCD, but anyhow, this 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 uh, hallucin I was gonna say a uh, uh, hallucinating 
um, concoction, if you will, they were they were trying to uh, send a a scuba diving uh, suit with with this uh, hallucination concoction that would eventually kill uh, Fidel Castro because they identified him likened to scuba dive, like like likened to you know scuba diving in water. So they wanted to send this. Um, and you can research this, man. This is this is this is stone cold stuff. They wanted to send a suit, um, a scuba diving suit with these chemicals in them to basically assassinate them. And not only that, they also uh, attempted to concoct uh, poison to put in toothpaste to kill the Patrice Lumumba of the Congo, Sydney Godley, the MK Ultra project, the Mind Control project. Not only that, and I conclude with with this with a couple things. In South Africa, it was reported in a new African magazine in 2019 that, you're talking about MKUltra, that the, uh, um, the Maritime Research uh, in, in CIA and MK, I'm sorry, M16 was involved in, in, in spreading HIV uh, viruses to Africans in South Africa to, to, so they can er- eradicate a lot of Africans so, to make it to maintain so they can make it predominantly white uh, in South Africa. And this was uh, occurring in the 70s and the 80s in the height of the of the of the AIDS campaign. We are the world song uh, to, to to put the shed light on quote unquote this AIDS epidemic that happened in Africa. But this is what they, this is what reported. You have Alexander Jones, one of the agents who was participating, not not Alexander, not Alex Jones as as people, as a journalist or the news, um, the junk, uh, junk news guy or whoever the, the conservative, not him. Um, but this is another agent, Alexander Jones, who 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 stated that he spent years as an intelligence officer, um, for thirty years and working in South Africa to, to give Africans. Uh, shots with these viruses and try to kill them off, kill us off in South Africa, so the European can make uh, and the capitalists can make uh, you know can maintain uh, these, the, the settler colonialism, the majority, if you will, in South Africa. And not only that, Frank Austin, Frank Austin was a CIA agent who was killed by the CIA because uh, he witnessed these, these these things taking places. He witnessed a pile of monkeys. Um, in a laboratory, in a laboratory, the this, this stuff they were trying up up, up in Langley, um, in their laboratories, the, the pile of monkeys and animals that was just dying, and that wigged them out. And the CIA agents, they got scared. They was like, "Hold on, this guy about this, this guy going to tell it. He's gonna he's gonna break." So they killed him. They, they assassinated this guy. They are on people. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, he was about to expose Project Artichoke. Um, and, and, and this was basically a, um, a project, you know, to 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 uh, kill and assassinate revolutionaries, uh, you know, or what have you. Experiment. Uh, this is a you know interrogation program to make you hallucinate, mind controlled, if you will, um, LSD. Um, this is what the stuff that they, they, they that they was doing. But I conclude, man. This stuff. This this is a serious war going on, and these people. They have uh, psycho- psychological um, profiles on on their on their uh, on their targets, which is us as revolutionary working class people, as revolutionaries uh, who are making it, who are who are political educating our people. They have these type of profiles on us, and they study us. Um, they have a. I conclude by this. I'm, I'm going to conclude the movie. They have a movie on Netflix with Jamie Foxx, 
and 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 the title of that movie is called uh, They Clone Tyrone, and in the movie it's it's about basically uh, lumping proletariats. The pimp it was a, the Jamie Foxx is, is playing a pimp, and they have a prostitute and they have a, a drug dealer in the in the in the movie, and they become aware that the government or they have this special program the government are kidnapping Africans off the street and and doing medical experiments, uh, you know, on um, cloning them, cloning the Africans and putting stuff in the chicken and manipulate them to control them, putting stuff in fried chicken and putting stuff in, in mm-hmm. the grape juice that are used on communion at the church. But anyhow, I just want to say thank you. That's, that's, the, that's the stuff that they're doing. They put it, and they're putting it out in Hollywood. Thank you, Brother Shabuka. Brother Moses, talk to me. Um, yeah, the CIA is an arm of the U.S. government. And the U.S. government, as Iran said, more or less, is the great Satan. Because, you know, it's, it's capitalist. It's, 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 it's uh, trying to police the world using its own values and, uh, and basically doing what's in its own self-interest. You know, and so, you know, the USA and the CIA um, uses any means necessary to promote the capitalist government of the USA and the, and the corporate interests that it that it represents. Uh, they they will lie, cheat, steal, kill. I mean, that's that's part of the organization and. Uh, and so, you know, we have to understand what we're fighting against. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Since Eleanor, the people tell me that the only terrorists in the USA are the FBI, CIA. What do you think about that, Sister Eleanor? I think that's factual. I think the Monroe Doctrine, which was established back, back during the uh, Taft years were, uh, and the goal was that we would begin, uh, not we, but we as revolutionaries know that uh, the U.S. government's goal was uh, to police first uh, the Southern American Hemisphere and anywhere else. And under the Monroe Doctrine, they first took uh, U.S. United States of America took the Philippines and Puerto Rico at the turn of the 20th century, and uh, it organized the uh, what was called the Bureau of Investigation, which became in the early 20th century the FBI. Uh, the Bureau of Investigation participated in the Mexican Revolution in that um, its goal was to uh, stop the Maganistas from having a revolution until they found uh, parties that would play their game in undermining the people who actually fought the revolution. And when they realized that uh, ousting uh, Diaz, the dictator, who had a coup d'etat in the late uh, 19th century and ruled for 36 years, could be replaced 
And at that time, the Bureau of Investigation had the Postal Service, all branches of U.S. government involved in infiltrating uh, the Maganistas in the United States and in Mexico. And they felt, and this was after adopting the Monroe Doctrine of Racial Superiority. And at that time, they found that they had a great success in Mexico. So this has been their tool, and they expanded their toolbox every since. When they found they could be speaking to Diaz and supporting him, while at the same time uh, working with the revolutionaries, the Pancho Villas and the, um, uh, all the revolutionaries, except for uh, his name was Mogan. I think I'm pronouncing it right, M-O-G-A-N. He died in Lebanon, left Fort Lebanon. Le- what is it called? Fort, um, the famous U.S. prison in the Midwest. This man died there, and they allege uh, there's been allegations that he was assassinated 20 years after his death in 1940. The Mexicans took him home, and, and he's in the rotunda of important people. But the reality is, the father of the Mexican Revolution, where there was going to be a fair distribution of land and the redistribution of land that had been taken by U.S. citizens under the Diaz regime was going to, uh, that's what their goals were. And as I said earlier in my introduction, the um, Revolutionaries of the early 20th century here, who and including in Europe, were excited by what was going on in Mexico. But it was squashed with this intelligence and infiltration and uh, all this kind of thing. So the FBI grew quickly out of that, and they changed the name to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And uh, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, I'm not sure of its origin, but I understand its platform and the impact it has had in Africa, Asia, South America, whether in Chile with Salvador Allende and Pina Jay or in uh, Nicaragua. And the fact is, as Sabuque Quay said, this germ warfare and the invention of crack to finance the Nicaraguan war while destroying the African community in the United States was not done by accident. And the persons and persons involved were serious scientists and uh, uh, marketers and engineers to get this substance throughout the community in the 1990s and to devastate the nation. And it clearly changed 
the society and generations were lost. Yes, the CIA, whether it's in Canada with the indigenous people or whether it's uh, in Chile or whether uh, we're working in Venezuela uh, having uh, Colombia, you know, wherever we are. Wherever the United States government is, I should say, of America, the imperialists are, the CIA is there. And I want to make another comment. I think when the uh, last person speaking talked about about, uh, the uh, profile given by the African-American or the, quote, African sister, she was asking the question, who is she reaching? Well, the reality is she's just reaching her age group. She's reaching those people, and that's who that is uh, outreaching to. And uh, the, the war, the intelligence war continues. Germ warfare is happening, as the book play said, um, in the United States alone, it was Africans dying, indigenous people dying, and the elderly and the disabled, and U.S. prisoners. So the equal number of people died in prison as the residents of nursing homes. And I find that a strange coincidence. I, I I can't imagine how such a horrific thing could happen. But I'm Thank sure someone knows. Thank you, Sister Lord. Brother Haki, in this interview, he mentioned how the Central Intelligence Agency participate in different readings. Was it dealing with cultural genocide? Or he used the concept of what they see children as raw material. Let's get this one shifting a little bit. Children as raw material. How low would these people go, Brother Haki? I'm sorry, Brother Alfred. What was the question? I mean, what was the last part of the question? I didn't catch it. The question is in this interview, he talks about the different areas in which they would use these descendants on people. And these different platforms, was it a form of cultural genocide or just outright use of children as raw material? I'm saying looking at children as raw material, what does that say about a psyche of an of, of, of organization of the people of the nation? What is your thoughts on that? Well, Brother Africa, you know, let's, 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 let's be very, very candid. You know, <clears throat> When we talk about when we talk about capitalism, we got to talk about the kind of people that capitalism produces. Capitalism doesn't produce people altruistic, people who are compassionate or empathetic. Capitalism tends to keep people who, uh, produce people who are self-interested. They tend to produce people who are very individualistic. In that context, when you talk about individuals who's uh, self-interest oriented or individualistic orientated then clearly uh, when it comes to impact on other people's lives, it becomes non-material. It's not important. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about policy or strategy that negatively impact human beings, I mean children, 
or adults. It really doesn't matter. What what matters is is is, is showing that uh, whatever it is that you deem important, uh, it it is a whatever it is is achieved. And so, therefore, in that context, brother Africa, we we should be surprised that when we talk about in terms of using you know chemicals or drugs specifically, or we talk about utilizing kids in terms of you know uh, cannon fodder. We shouldn't be surprised that uh, there's a certain amount of indifference in terms of that, that, that fundamental inhumanity. In fact, it's a very difficult in terms of capital class to even understand in terms of the, the sheer nature in terms of the inequality. Because for them, everything is, everything is, uh, uh, everything is, is, is for them, it's all about self-actualization. And, for, and when we talk about self-actualization, it's in fact, if, 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 your, if your interest, focus, is to achieve all you can achieve materially, at the same token, denying other people's access to those things they need to survive, then you know what? It's a very easy formula to solve. You do what you got to do in terms of maximizing benefits to yourself at the expense of all others. And it doesn't bother you. You don't, you don't, you don't feel bad about that. You see it as a natural inclination or a natural, a natural state of being in terms of, you know, in terms of, in terms of human, the human condition. So clearly, Brother Africa, nobody should be surprised, you know, when you talk about all this kind of stuff, that when you talk about the capital system, You've got to expect, certainly you've got to anticipate, you know, this kind of, you know, this kind of insensitivity, this kind of heartlessness, this kind of uh, indifference to life. It's going to manifest itself across the board. And so when you talk specifically about strategy in terms of, you know, at what point do you draw back from strategy where the the strategy becomes just too diabolical? Well, in the context of capitalism, no strategy is too diabolical. And this is what we have to fundamentally understand. If we don't understand the viciousness of this system, then if we step back and simply think that if we can appeal to its consciousness in terms of bringing about change, then we said a mistaken. Capitalism does not have a conscience. That is the fundamental problem that we're confronted with. So we talk about these atrocities committed against children. We talk about the, 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 the importation, importation of drugs into the community. Understand that these people in positions of power don't give a damn. It's incumbent upon the people themselves to understand the nature of the challenge, to move to, to block, to leave at least to, to, to rebuff, you know, those negative impacts of, you know, of drugs or manipulation or, or exploitation of their children. It's incumbent upon the community itself. Not any system is going to do that. If the people don't decide in their, in their hearts of hearts, in their brains of brains, that it's important for us to do this in terms of our own survival, then any negative things that result from these capitalist policies if we fail to address those things, we got nobody to blame but ourselves. It's that simple. Capitalism is capitalism. It's inhumane at its heart. And I'll close it there. And for our final thought on this program, this subject, part three, America will never be for Africans. Brother Anthony, your final thought. They say that one of the goals of the Ascension Time Agency is to crack the human mind, particularly the African mind. Why is that, Brother Anthony? We're so fascinated about the African man. Uh, be, because they're trying to, to to deny that we played any role in the, the in the advancement of human history, and they and they uh, and they do that by uh, by uh, uh, attacking us by any means necessary. I mean, in the mind of some uh, capitalists, we're still uh, 
we're still workers to be exploited by any means necessary. And if they can't use us, they want to kill us. And uh, that's the bottom line we have to face. And uh, we have to, uh, you know, study history, study ourselves, and study them carefully. And that takes organization and political education and work. It takes a lot of work. And the thing about it, though, they deter us uh, with the social media. They deter us from engaging in this kind of hard work that it's going to take to bring about our liberation. But we have to counter that. Uh, with uh, political education and mass organization. You heard it on Africa Move. They just told you if they want, they want to use you. If they cannot use you, kill you. That's their blueprint. This is why America will never be for Africa. If they can't use you, remember. They want to kill you. So in closing out this particular final segment, America was never built for Africans. We'd like to have your final thoughts, Brother Moses. We're coming to you. We'll wrap it up. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Let me say um, I'm into class struggle, and uh, the 1% is the problem uh, in terms of capitalism um, for, for at the direction of the main blow. And, uh, you know, the working class has a historical task of eliminating all exploitation, and it, it will live up to that task, I'm confident. Um, I adhere I to a, a revolutionary outlook. I think the future is bright. I don't see fascism on the rise right now. I see it's on the decline. Trump was it was on the rise when Trump was in office. It's on the decline right now, but it can rise again, and we have to prevent it from rising again. And uh, and you know the struggle is very concrete. It's very real, and uh, I'm trying to make it real compared to what. Thank you. I hear you, Brother Moses. I'm not sure about it's not on the rise. But anyway, let's move on. We'd like to thank you for your contribution to today's program. We can move on right now to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts for tonight. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. Well, unfortunately, fascism is on the rise, but so is the working class struggle. Just as in Great Britain right now, the Amazon workers in two plants are struggling for a 15, uh, 30 pounds sterling an hour wage. That's about uh, $30 an hour. You're not hearing about that in the main media press. I haven't read it anywhere in the United States. The control of the media uh, is already been done. The CIA already uses the media, including Hollywood, 
from the war in the Ukraine, uh, the U.S. war in the Ukraine, proxy war in the EU, Great Britain, well, Great Britain and, and the U.S. AIDS proxy war in the Ukraine begun suddenly everything from Hollywood to hourly shows had Russia as the great enemy. But the world is rising, uh, and workers are rising not only in the United States, but uh, Brother Anthony was very correct about it. They can't use you, they'll kill you. But part of the thing they always want to do, the 1%, as Brother Moses described them, use their tools, the CIA, the FBI, and the media, is to divide and conquer. So mind control is very important. And there's a new diaspora here in this country over the last 50 years, freshly arrived from Africa. They've lived through colonialism, but they have never experienced shadow slavery. And there's a lot of propaganda being distributed in Africa about the descendants of chattel slavery as well as other propaganda. And uh, this, I think, is a new tool they're planning on using in the future as uh, the United States of America. Um and on the decline of imperialism, this is something they intend to use to divide and conquer the people. So with that in mind, uh, the future is bright. But again, as is frequently mentioned, it's through organization, education, that the future is bright. I asked a sister recently, born in, in Sierra Leone, about uh, Lumumba. She had never heard of it. She had she didn't realize who Malcolm X was, nor Frederick Douglass, nor Ida B. Wells. So information is liberation. W. D. Du Bois, the most a recognized scholar on U.S. race theory said education is liberation and I thank you for having me on this evening show for the Africa and I will close out with he also said we need to outproduce in literature media in any way possible. The white press, the capitalist, not the white press, but the the capitalist, the imperialist, because they cannot be allowed to tell the story of uh, United States of Americans. America, we or descendants of chattel slavery, or the indigenous people, or the uh, 
Mexican migrant workers in this country at the turn of the century. This story must be told by the people, and education is the liberation. Thank you, and good night. Thank you, Sister Alamon. Good night to you. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, India, uh, India Irie, uh, the singer, uh, entertainer, she, she made a very interesting statement. Some of she was provocative. And she says that she, she had a problem philosophically with black women shaking their butts on stage. Uh, in other words, she had a problem with, with African female entertainers twerking. Now, Lizzo had an interesting response to that. Her position was that uh, twerking is, is, is on parallel with the same dance they perform in West Africa, called it Mapuka. But unfortunately, what the sister doesn't take into consideration was the political dimensions or the role of the context in terms of that kind of dance. Uh, one of the things when we just talk about the political dimensions, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, the sexuality of African women, we have to understand that there are political considerations in terms of, you know, encouraging that kind of expression. Uh, one of the things I think just as a side note, one of the, you know, when you talk about the, the economy as a whole, you know, uh, you know, historically, you know, when the economy is bad, skirts tend to get shorter. That is a very interesting, in turn, uh, a, a very interesting uh, uh, event in terms of, you know, uh, short, short skirts getting shorter. So what are they? What, what is, so what is being conveyed here? What is, what is the message that they're trying to send? I think also when you talk about um, the, the perception of, of African women, you know, when you're on stage and shaking your butt, that stuff gets magnified and shown throughout the world. And so it's, it, it gives a sort of distorted very view in terms of what African women really are. Uh, and, and thirdly, I think one of the things is that, you know, when you talk about, um, you, know, uh, you know, the use of, of twerking around the world with, with respect to African women, I think one of the things is that normally – in the context of clubs, when African women are twerking, normally they're hustling. And so, and so when they twerk, they're just trying to entice, you know, those guys with the deep pockets, you know, to, you know, to take them out. Uh, they're not doing it because, of, because uh, you know, it's, they're trying to, uh, uh, trying to showcase, you know, you know, you know their, 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 their physical attributes. They're doing it for, in terms of uh, as a business arrangement, in ter- just in terms of survival. So I think this question in terms of the power of women is something that I think that we have to come to grips with. I, I realize as a as a man, you know, if I say to a sister, you know, sister, you know, you, you know, that 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 short, you know, that those short dress, I mean, it's just it's just I'm becoming. I'm likely to she's likely to respond and listen. You don't tell me what to wear. I wear what I want to wear. You know what I mean? And I so, and I, I certainly understand that. Uh, so we don't. So that political aspect in terms of you know how you project yourself. It's missing, in particular with respect to younger, younger African females. I think one of the things when we talk about the unique aspects in terms of African, you know, African women femininity, we've got to talk about the role of spirituality. I mean, Af- I mean the spirituality is just there. And so what, what the, the, the short dresses and the twerking does is to take away from that spiritual aspect. Uh, of course, for some people, they say, well, listen, the spiritual thing is overrated, and that's fine. But, but nonetheless, when you, but, but you get a sense in terms of, you know, when you're talking to women, in terms of observing women, watch what women do, this, this question of spirituality comes through. Even just sisters is in, involved in the street life, the sense of spirituality often manifests itself. Also, I think just in terms of, uh, you, know, um, you know, when you talk about the, the empathy that women tend to, uh, tend to express, uh, one of the things we talk about the power dynamics uh, between men and women. I mean, certainly when you talk about the power of women, Women's ability to love is much greater than men. And so, therefore, if women really wanted to crucify men, 
Certainly, one of the things to do is to berate men in terms of in terms of bringing men down. But most women won't do that. And so, when you talk about the sense of empathy, it's very, very strong in women because they certainly had the opportunity if they wanted to berate a man based upon quote unquote performance, they certainly could do so. But they, most women don't do that. So it speaks to the kind of empathy in women spiritual understanding in terms of the world, their role in the world. And so I think that so I think MBRE has a very, very critical a very, very good point. I think young sisters really need to think about in terms of the implications, you know, of certain kinds of dress, certain kind of actions and whether or not such actions and behavior are consistent or conducive to you know, to 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 the, to, the, to, the, to bring out the best in terms of in terms of the community. So I think that's a lot, but I think it's important. But then in closing, Brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, one thing is sure, when we talk about this, 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 this uh, war being enacted against African people, and we talk about the psychological aspect, we cannot take anything for granted. Uh, those things that are, those, those practices that we, adjust, that we adopt, that are not in the interest of our survival, then when we just start questioning those, those practices, ask ourselves, why do we do it, and begin to, you know, uh, begin to see ourselves in a much higher consciousness in terms of understanding that everything, simply because it exists, is not always the most intelligent avenue in terms of carrying out. So having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you the same, Brother Hockey. Thank you for your contribution to today's program. And we'll end with Brother Anthony with his final thoughts for tonight as we close out part three. America will never be for Africans. Brother Anthony. Yes. Uh, One implication of the fact that America was not built for Africans is that Africans need to look to Africa more than ever because it's our only just homeland. And Africa is rich in resources as well as, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and if Africans were organized to feed Africans, it could feed, it could provide a homeland for all Africans wherever they're scattered in the world. And we have to look to Africa more than ever because its future is dependent on us and we depend on it for our future. And that is why Pan-Africanism becomes more important than ever. That is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And you can find out more about that by checking out our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you very much, and have a good night, everyone. And we thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contributions to today's program. In closing, we'd like to make this announcement. We'd like to make this announcement as we talk about a time of limits and a time of reunion. 
celebrating Kwame Ture date, Saturday, July 29th, 2023, time 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. We ask everyone to arrive at 12 p.m. And this will be a celebration in honor of Brother Kwame Ture and some of the keynote speakers or panelists who will be presenting will be Brother Bob Brown, Pierre Roos, Don Rojas, Sekou Odinga, Councilman Charles Barron, Valerie Plummer. Those are some of the panelists who will be part of that particular program. They celebrate in remembrance of Brother Kwame Ture. He was born on June 29, 1941, and made the transition on November 15, 1998. It will be located at the House of the Lord. Um, at 415 Atlanta Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 1127. So if you are in the area or coming to the country, in New, um, to the city of New York, go and check that program out this Saturday on July 21, 29th, July 29th, this Saturday coming up as they celebrate and give that respect to their brother Tommy Turek. Check that out. And... Um, it's a program that I question what you're learning at. And in closing, we'd like to thank everyone who's participating. We'd like to thank our listening audience. We'd like to thank our friends and supporters who continue to support this program. We do advocate to our listeners. We want you to help us build this program by sharing with the network. In the next six months, we'd like to increase our listenership to over 100,000 people. We can do that with your support. If you would like to have a copy of this program and others, Please email us at Africa on the Moon, Africa on the Moon number two at gmail.com. Africa on the Moon number two at gmail.com. And we'll see a copy of this program. Like always, this program is under the banner of the African Women's Association. We come to speak truth to the power for the power list. And we hope to give you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. Speaking about this program tonight, we're talking about these targets. We want to encourage everybody to do what they can to fight for the lifting of the sanctions and the U.S. embargo and blockade against Cuba. Demand them to give the economy back and most definitely take Cuba off of the terrorists. As the people once taught us, that only terrorists in the U.S.A. are the FBI and the CIA. Take Cuba off the list. Lift the blockade against all the countries, whether Cuba, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, uh, the countries in the Middle East, they have blockaded damn near half of the country, half, half of the world. Let's put an end to this madness. So until next time, like always, join us next week. We are able to Sunday from 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. And we invite you to come and participate and join us and share with us what's going on in your world and community. So until next time, the words for today is remember. If they can't use you, they'll kill you. It's just being African on the move, and we'll leave you with some music or inspiration as we continue to travel down this lane of liberation and unification. This has been Brother Africa from Africa on the move. Buffalo soldier, it was a buffalo soldier in the heart.
the land of beauty, the land of milk, the land of honey and rain, the land where people smile, the land where people love, the land where people friendly, the land where people dance, the land with a good agriculture, and that's why we feed the world. African, proud African, straight from Uganda, and that's why me sing and say, Africa, my motherland, I'm never living this land anymore. The land is so full, with too many tribes, you have made up one, together with the hand. That's why we sing and sing. Africa, you make me fall in love. Africa, you make me love you more. Yeah, economical, social, political. I love the way that every day. Africa, my motherland. Hey, yo, Na casa da Bahia, Mama África tem 
tanto que fazer Além de cuidar neném Além de fazer denguinho Filhinho tem que entender Mama África vai e vem Mas não se afasta de você Mama África A minha mãe É mãe solteira e tem de fazer mamadeira hum, Todo dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Na casa Bahia Quando mama sai de casa Seus filhos, seu lodunzão Rola o maior jazz Mama tem carro nos pés Mama precisa de paz Mama não quer brincar mais Filhinho dá um tempo, é tanto contratempo No ritmo de vida de mama Mama África, a minha mãe É mãe solteira e tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia, além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira na casa Bahia Mama África, a minha mãe É mãe solteira e tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Nas casas Bahia Deve ser legal Senegal no Senegal 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 Mama África A minha mãe É mãe solteira e tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Nas casas Bahia Mama África A minha mãe É mãe solteira E tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Nas casas Bahia Mama África, a minha mãe, a minha mãe, a minha
Oh, Chris? I don't hear from him for a long time, you know. Chris all over the world. Yeah, yeah, I'm so proud of him. Hold on. Okay, no, I'll have to call him back. I'll call him back a little later, shortly. Alright, go.
appeal to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, lady. But keep it up. Come 
from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Stop the identity of an African And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You are an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your complexion So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind denomination That is only segregation You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man you're